Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. This week, unsurprisingly, I want to talk about Ukraine, right? It's pretty much all that's in the news. Um, it's all we're hearing about. Um, and the world has moved on very swiftly from talking about nothing but coronavirus to talking about nothing but the Ukraine. Now, I am not an expert by any means on geopolitics, right? I have nothing of value to add to the commentary around what might happen um, and what the potential solutions are. That's not what I'm going to talk about today, right? I'm going to talk about how it's impacting investment markets and how it could impact investment markets in the future. Now, again, I don't know what's going to happen. So this is my best guess on how this is all going to play out. And, you know, maybe it might seem crass to talk about investments and to talk about the stock market whilst there's so many awful things happening to real people across the world. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is happening that the markets are still open. The world is still going on. We're all still going to our jobs. So I'm just trying to add value where I feel like I can add value. Um, and that is talking about how this could impact your investments. Because, you know, I, well, I, I, had a conversation with somebody um, for the podcast just yesterday, actually, we recorded the episode and we were talking about, obviously, the Ukraine came up. We were talking a little bit about that and what regular people like you and me can do. And really, the, the truth of the matter is there's, there's not a lot we can do. Um, one of the very few things that, that we, we can do is help with our money, whether that's through donations, whether that's through choosing where we spend the money that we have. That is where our power comes from. So, you know, from my perspective, getting control over your finances, getting yourself into a place where you have financial security and financial freedom means you have the ability to be able to make those conscious choices. You have excess money to be able to give to causes that is that are important to you. You have the, the, the freedom to be able to choose maybe a more expensive product rather than choosing one that is the cheapest but comes from a country who has an awful human rights record. Whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, the unfortunate truth of the matter is, is that money gives you options. And so I think that's why it's always important that regardless of what is going on in the world, that you don't lose track of your own money and your own financial plan. Now, this is obviously a very fast-moving situation. Um, I'm recording this on um, on the 1st of March at lunchtime, and the episode is getting released tomorrow, so probably not much will change between now and then, but you just never know, right? There's so much new information coming out all the time. So I want to start by taking a little bit of a run through what's happened over the, over this, this calendar year, I suppose, so far. So We've come off the back of two very strong years for investment markets. We we had the pandemic really cause a massive correction all over the world in early 2020. Markets fell significantly, like 40-odd percent in the UK and the US. And then basically from that point, in the US especially, it's been a very strong couple of years. 2021 um, 2020, I should say, in, the, in America was a fantastic year. UK, not so much. 2021 was a fantastic year for stock markets, most places in the world. Um, so we're coming off a couple of years where a correction has been on the cards, right? Markets can't go up in a straight line forever. And whenever we have two, three years of very strong growth, you start to think there's probably a correction coming. And the longer that that bull run lasts for, the less it takes to kick off a sell, uh, a sell down or a correction or a crash um, because everyone starts to expect it. And so essentially what's happened so far this year is, is we had um, 
the tech sector in the UK, uh, sorry, in the US, is what has driven a lot of the initial volatility in kind of January. Now, the biggest of these is is, is companies like Facebook or Meta, and essentially there has been a lot of change in the way that they make their money. There's been, I think, the first year ever that Facebook didn't add new users to the platform. And so there's some concern that we're reaching potentially peak big tech, right? There's also been updates from a privacy standpoint, particularly from Apple and some rumblings that Google are going to do the same thing, which limits the amount of data that, or data, depending on how you say it, that Facebook can gather from people, which is their whole business plan, right? It's gathering that data and then using that to sell ads to people. And so all of these things um, spook the market a little bit. There's some really big falls in some of those companies. And just like the US tech sector has dragged up the indexes over the last couple of years because they've performed so well, they're such big companies, they're doing the opposite now. They're dragging down the indexes. So we started to see that. There's a, there was already some volatility in the markets before everything started kicking off with Ukraine. That's obviously been the next um, issue that has, has well and truly reared its head. Now, the last couple of weeks has been markets have been hit very, very, very hard um, due to what's going on in the Ukraine. And, you know, you've got to remember that a big part of what drives inve- investment markets in the short term isn't isn't fundamentals, it's it's um, it's sentiment, it's emotion. And obviously, whenever there's a war, you know, there's a huge amount of emotion involved. And it's emotion and, and sentiment for those individual country, countries. But, you know, realistically, Russia, I think, is 2% of global, global GDP. Ukraine, I don't have the figure, but it would be a tiny, you know, tiny, tiny speck of the global economy. But that's not why people get nervous. People get nervous because what if? What if this spreads into the rest of Eastern Europe? What if this spreads into Western Europe? What if this spreads across the whole world? What if China decide to become emboldened and and take Taiwan? You know, what if, what if, what if? And it's those what ifs, it's managing that risk to put it in investment um, terminology that spooks markets all over the world. So even countries that aren't impacted by this at all, the stock markets can fall. And often there is an overreaction, not an overreaction to the event, but an overreaction from a financial standpoint. You know, at the moment, there's a lot going on in terms of sanctions to Russia. Um, You know, there's there's no-fly zone over the the entirety of the EU for Russian aircraft or aircraft owned or related to people from Russia. Um, You know, there's sanctions, very strong sanctions being, being put in place. Um, you know, Russia's being removed or either has been already or is, is probably going to be removed from the SWIFT, the international banking system. You know, things are coming very, very quickly for Russia. And that is driving a lot of this concern because nobody knows how they're going to react. Nobody knows what the potential flow and effect is going to be for the global economy. You know, we've talked a lot about the rising cost of living in the UK over the last year or 18 months. And a big driver of that has been gas prices. And a big driver of the reason for those increase in gas prices is because has been because the majority of our gas comes from Russia, um, and there's been issues with the pipelines going through Ukraine because of all the political turmoil. So, you know, do sanctions with Russia, particularly around our energy, actually make that problem worse? You know, the, the world economy now is very, very intertwined. So, I guess my point, the, the point I'm making is that 
there is some fundamental basis as to why these sorts of things can panic global markets because there can be contagion effect. There can be things that happen in an individual company, a country that then spreads across the rest of the world. You know, we saw it in the global financial crisis in 2008. You know, countries like um, like Portugal, like Ireland, like Greece, like Spain, within the EU, their problems spread to the rest of the EU. And that that can always happen with any type of economic or political crisis. I guess my point that I'm making is at the moment, the realities of that don't necessarily reflect what we're seeing in the stock market. It's not as bad. The UK, for example, you know, from an actual fundamental economic standpoint, we're not impacted really in any great deal um, by by what's happening in, in the Ukraine. And yet our stock market is still impacted by it. Now, what do I see as being the outcome? Like I say, I I um, I have no idea what the outcome is going to be. Um, but what I do know is is how stock markets tend to react to this kind of news, which is what I've been talking about a little bit already. But anytime there's any sort of economic um, crisis, political crisis, markets tend to overreact. It's what we call becoming oversold. So usually, if there's some bad news, there is panic in the markets, differing levels of panic. But there is panic, and we see really big sell-offs. We see people who um, manage manage money decide to take some risk off the table. So, you, looking at a hypothetical investment manager, you know if they're they're managing money for their clients um, who are fairly conservative clients, you know sometimes there are different funds or different managers who will like to basically just check out whilst everything gets sorted. And so for a portfolio that's used usually, you know, 50 or 70% in equity, there's many, many investment managers who will look to reduce their exposure. Now, most of them aren't going to do something drastic, like move the whole portfolio to cash. But, you know, if every or the vast majority or even a large percentage of investment managers take 10% of their equity allocation off the table, move 10% of their 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 stock positions into cash or into fixed interest, that's a huge amount of selling pressure on the markets. So you have professional investors taking some risk off the table as part of what they normally would do, but all kind of in one go. And then of course, you've got retail investors who people who maybe um, are new to investing or uh, manage their own money who haven't gone through many crashes before or are uncomfortable with what's going on, making their own decisions as well and potentially selling down a lot of a lot of their own holdings, moving those to cash. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, anytime you have selling pressure, you have more people who are selling, the prices of these equities and these funds then drops, which then makes more people panic, which hits more people's stop losses. And you get this spiral effect where more and more selling pressure occurs, which makes more more selling occur. And so often what we will see is, and we saw this at the start of 2020 with the coronavirus pandemic, everybody panicked like crazy and the market sold down an insane amount, like some of the, the highest levels we've ever seen. And yet the dust settles, the fundamentals get looked at and markets start to recover. Because what we tend to see is we tend to see whilst the issue is happening or whilst it is, is first being um, being arisen, you know, we see that when there's lack of information, there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty. When a status quo starts to come back into, for, into place, some of those questions get answered. Now, it actually doesn't matter whether the news is good or whether the news is bad. It matters the level of uncertainty. 
So at the moment, what we're seeing is, is a huge amount of uncertainty. Nobody knows what the Russia-Ukraine situation is going to look like next week, let alone next month. And so because there is uncertainty, that's what makes markets nervous. When we have some more certainty, things are likely, in my opinion, to bounce back pretty quickly. Now, certainty can look very, very different. Certainty can look like Russia has taken over Ukraine, they've completely annexed the country, the Ukraine government has destroyed, and that Russia has taken military control of the Ukraine. If that's where they stop, they don't start trying to take over any other countries in the in the near term, then that would provide certainty. It would be it would be a terrible situation for the people of the Ukraine. It would be a worrying situation for NATO and the EU and global politics, but there would be some stability. And when the stability returns, then markets are likely to recover. C- certainty also looks like Russia retreating from the Ukraine. If the either the, the, the peace talks go the way they had planned, they come to a deal um, there, where there is some concessions, Ukraine agrees not to join NATO, you know, whatever the case may be, um, the European um, forces are able to kind of push the push Russia back. Ukraine kind of um, defends their country and Russia retreats. Again, that probably looks like certainty. You know, it depends on, on all the different potential machinations of how it all plays out. But it would be a situation where we would have some understanding that at least in the short term that there is some level of stability in uh, in the country. So from a purely investment market standpoint, it doesn't really matter what creates stability, the, the stability. What matters is that there is stability. And again, going back to coronavirus, coronavirus was a very good example. We saw the uncertainty was what crashed the market in early 2020. And then we had stability. It was a weird stability, There was lockdowns, there was mask mandates, there was new variants, but we all kind of got used to it, right? We all understood what the game was. We were all used to the briefings. We were all used to the figures. We weren't seeing something we'd never seen before. We'd seen a continuation of some pretty shitty news and a pretty pretty crap situation, but it was a situation that we at least understood a little bit. And because off the back of that, markets did really well. There wasn't uncertainty. Companies, investment managers, retail investors looked at things and said, you know what, we've got a fairly good roadmap of what the next two years look, looks like. You know, we vaccinate everybody, we lock down when we need to, and then we slowly open up. You know, regardless of, of how realistic that plan was, there was a plan. We were all on board with it. Well, you know what I mean? We all knew what the, the plan was. We all understood what the game plan was. We had a game plan. Therefore, stability. Therefore, markets not nervous. Therefore, good returns. I think we're going to see a very similar thing with, with what's happening in the Ukraine. Now, the one thing that we can really never predict is timeline, and that's the same regardless of what issue you're looking at, regardless of what type of investment you're looking at. The toughest thing that you, uh, to, the, the toughest thing to predict, I would say, the impossible thing to predict, is timeline. So. We could be looking back next week. I mean, I'm going to release this episode tomorrow. Tonight, Russia and Ukraine could sit down at the table with the EU, with whoever, hash out a peace talk, peace talks. I think they started them yesterday, and they could have a deal. It could all be over. That's pretty, probably pretty unlikely, but that could happen. Next week or in two weeks' time, we could be looking back at this as 
a bit like what happened in Crimea, Crimea, I'm not sure how you say it. You know, this Russia annexed part of the Ukraine a couple of years ago um, and that was a big deal at the time and very quickly it went away. This could be, I think this is a much, much bigger scale. So I'm not, you know, I'm not comparing on, on that respect. But my point, my point is, is that this could be a big, massive political issue, but it could also go away very quickly. On the other side of things, it could drag out for a very long time. We could be looking back in six months and there's still the situation looks very similar to how it looks today. So when you're talking about investment management, that's why we always talk about having a long time frame. That's why we talk about five years because most of the time, most issues in the world are going to be sorted within five years. You know, the, the effects potentially going to be much long, more long-lasting than that, the long-term effects from a you know, social standpoint or a political standpoint. But from a purely investment market perspective, we tend to get some of that stability back or almost always within within that five-year time frame. Because again, if we're looking back in, in five years to this point now, if you look at a graph a year to date, um, what's the S&P 500 down? The S&P 500 is down heaps. Um, let's have a quick look now. S&P 500 so far year to date is down almost 9%, right? So that's a really big drop. That's a really big correction for a big mature index like the S&P 500. That's a really big drop in just a couple of months. I can almost guarantee that when we're looking back in five years' time, that will barely register as a little blip on the radar. And this is this is a war. This is a big, big issue. So again, it's always important to keep in, in mind that longer time frame. If you're looking to invest for the first time or looking to add more money or starting to get your financial plan together, um, it's all about that time frame. There's always going to be issues like this. You know, this is a this is a really bad problem. But there are unfortunately always really bad problems. You know, there's issues constantly in places like Yemen and Syria. Um, there is market crashes that happen all over the world for a variety of different reasons. And if you have a long enough time frame, you're going to have enough time to ride out the ups and downs of those markets. Now, of course, there is one proviso on this, and I put a post up on Instagram yesterday, um, which was a reminder about diversification. And it's really, really important. And this, again, highlights how important it is. And the example that I put up on Instagram um, I showed the S&P 500 um, again, which like I say is down, I think it was down slightly less yesterday, but around that 8 9% mark. Um, year to date, S&P 500 down, um, down almost double digits over the last 12 months. So if you've been invested in you know, a large cap uh, S&P 500 fund, if you've been invested in you know, an ETF that invested only in the S&P 500, if you invest your money directly, say into you know just US tech stocks, if you pick stocks and you've got some Apple and some Facebook, some Google, some Tesla, all the darlings of the markets over the last couple of years, you'd probably, probably be hurting a little bit right now, right? Because those, those stocks have have suffered, they've suffered big time. Um, but on this post, so I showed the S&P 500 um, down, I've just got the post up now, down 8.62% yesterday, year to date. And then year to date, the Brazilian stock exchange, the IBOV, is up about the same, 8.87%. So even with all of this craziness that is going on in the world, we've had a two-year pandemic into a war. Um, Brazil itself has had a lot of its own issues with its president. Um, the market's up 
almost double digits over the last couple of months. Now, I'm not saying put all your money in Brazil, not by any stretch of the imagination. My point is, is that regardless of what is happening in the world, there's almost always going to be some aspect of the economy, some country, some people who are making money off the back of it. You know, we've seen this last two years, coronavirus pandemic, awful, shitty time for all of us. Some companies made an absolute killing off the back of it. You know, I'm talking about public companies, yes, like Netflix, like Spotify, like Facebook, Tesla, all these companies have done well. They've made money off the back of people spending more time at home, not commuting as much, all those sorts of things. Um, but also companies like, you know, we hear all these dodgy contracts with PPE companies, um, for example. If there is a... Um, a large-scale global conflict, there's lots of companies that make weapons and make aeroplanes. And as awful as it sounds, you know, there are companies that profit a lot off of war. And if you have, it's an awful thing to think about, right? My point really is not about making money off war because that brings itself a whole lot of ethical questions. My point is, is that if you are diversified, you are able to have money in different areas that will make money depending on no matter what is going on in the world. And that could even be just more positive things. You know, so um, I don't know, countries, for example, let's say uh, one particular country brings in a whole range of new green legislation and becomes a massive innovative hub for green technology, for solar power, for wind energy, for all those sorts of things. You know, the companies that are built there will potentially do really well if the oil price crashes, right? So there are always going to be different areas of the economy, different companies, different countries that can take advantage of the market conditions, basically no matter what they are. And the only way you can really have proper exposure to all those is by having sufficient diversification. Now, it's not about just picking... Um, emerging markets or trying to pick the countries are going to do the best because you're never going to, you know, like I say, none of us can, even if we can get the future correct, if we know what's going to happen, you can't know when it's going to happen. And so getting the right level of diversification is really, really important. Um, the easiest way to not do this and what most of us will fall into a trap of doing is what I call home bias. Well, it's not, not what I call it. It's called home bias. And for people in the UK, I'm going to extend that a little bit and almost say Western bias, right? Because the vast majority of people that get in touch with me, people who invest themselves, tend to be invested in an S&P 500 tracker. So investing in the American stock market. Sometimes they'll be investing a little bit into the UK stock market as well. And it's easy, it's easy to understand why people do that. You know, the UK stock market, it it is comfortable. You know, you're investing in companies that you know that you use. You know, you're investing in the, the supermarkets that you go to, the um, places where you fill up your car with petrol. You're investing in companies where you spend your own money. So that makes sense, right? And it's actually the same with American stock market. You know, you're investing in Apple and you have an iPhone. You're investing in Netflix and you watch a lot of Netflix. You're investing in Spotify and you listen to your music on Spotify, etc., etc. So that makes sense. It's what's comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with investing a large portion of your money there because at the end of the day, the American stock market is the largest economy, the last stock, largest stock market in the world. The UK makes up a sizable portion of the world economy as well. So there's definitely worse places you could invest and you should have a large proportion of your equity allocation in those places. But you shouldn't only look in those places. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. I'm not going to go into the specifics here, but you know there are multi-asset funds that will invest much more broadly than that, that will invest all over the world. You know There are individual funds that will invest in emerging markets, for example, 
Um, and it's just important to make sure you have that diversification within your portfolio. You know, diversification is not just about, well, I've got my money in 20 different companies that are all listed in America or 20 American companies and five UK companies. It's about proper global geographic and industry diversification. So, look, I hope that's been um, useful in terms of the, the, the investment impact. Look, I guess to kind of summarize where I'm at with this is from a human standpoint, it's a really terrible, terrible situation that we're seeing. From a stock market, purely a stock market situation, it's, it's not that unusual. You know, we see events that cause stock markets to crash. This is an event that has caused the stock market to crash. Once we have that stability return to the event itself, we will see stock markets recover. The issue that we can't know is the time scale on that. You know, it could be weeks, it could be months. Worst case scenario, it could be years. Um, I think that's pretty unlikely. But, um, you know, once things start to return to some semblance of normality, the markets will almost certainly recover off the back of that. And that's why it's important to stay invested and to be diversified in your in your portfolio. I think, you know, for me, it's it's weird in a way because we've had now years, literally years, of, for me anyway, messages that are saying, are you happy with your life? That sounds really weird. That sounds like a really weird and weird thing to say. But are you, look what can happen. Look what can happen in the blink of an eye. Look what can get taken away. Look how drastically our lives can change through no fault or control of our own. You know, we've all been on lockdown for the last two years on and off through nothing that we've done ourselves. We've gone about our business. We've focused on our work. We've focused on our families. We've gone to the gym. We've done all the right things and it just gets changed on us. For people of the Ukraine, that... The last two years probably looks like a complete walk in the park um, after this has happened. And, you know, I think it's whenever stuff like this happens to me anyway, I always use it as an opportunity to just step back and say, okay, what what do I want my life to look like? And I think that's always the question we need to keep asking ourselves. When we look, Whenever you look at your money, whenever you think about your investments, whenever you think about your pension, whenever you think about your work, your career, your business, anything to do with your money, you've got to keep reminding yourself that there is a reason why you're doing it. There is a reason why you want more money. There's a reason why you want to pay less tax. There is a reason why you want to invest better. There is a reason why you want to earn more. It's because, or it should be because, you have a life in mind that you're aiming for and you're striving for. And I think from my from my point of view, that's what I keep telling myself, that all the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis about our money need to have that endpoint in mind because at any time it can change on us, right? So we've only got one chance to actually be working towards the ideal life that, that we want to live. And there's no right or wrong answer with that. I just encourage you to anytime you are thinking about your money, anytime you're thinking about your investments, to make sure you're always bringing it back to that. What does my ideal life look like? What do I want my day-to-day to look like? How do I structure my finances to support that life and to support the life for me and my family as well? Guys, thank you very much for tuning into the episode. As always, I want to leave you with a question, right? I want to, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear a little bit more about what drives you 
in your day-to-day life, in your finances, in your money. So I want to start with some positivity on these these questions. I want to start with you bragging a little bit about what you've done in the past, the decisions you've made. So I want to hear what is the best financial decision that you have ever made? It could be anything. It could be an investment that you chose. It could be a job that you took. It could be an expense that you cut out of your life. I want to hear about the best investment decision that you have ever made in your life. In order to drop that answer to me, please head over to the website, thehedge.io and hit me up anywhere there. There's like contact forms everywhere. There's an ask a question button. There's all the social links, all that stuff. You can get in touch with me any way you want. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. What is the best financial decision that you have ever made? Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I've got a fantastic interview to bring you next week with Rachel Martin from Accountant Share. I'm really looking forward to that one and I will speak to you then.